the Lord be with you. I don't know about you, but whenever I watch a big sporting event, like, say, the Olympics, I'm always fascinated by those little inspirational videos they show us in between the events. You know, when the, they show us the athlete getting up at 4 a.m. and working out, and then they go to the local Tim Hortons, and they interview some of their friends, and they talk to their mom and their coach, and they always say, I've always known that she had the spirit of a champion. And then when the race is over, and the gold medalist is, is still drenched in sweat and surrounded by microphones and wrapped in a flag, and then they tell us, dreams really do come true. Anything is possible. Just keep believing. You can be a winner. But for me, maybe it's just my own perverse view of the world, but I can't not think about that disappointed crowd of people standing behind that person wrapped in a flag. I mean, they worked really hard, too. And were it not for a few hundredths of a second or a few millimeters, maybe they'd be on that podium instead. But they're not. NASCAR legend Dale Earhart used to delicately put it, second place is just first loser. There are quite a few ways in this world to be a winner, but there are way more ways to be a loser. Like every society in history, we have rules and codes and contests and standards and economies, and they stratify our world and they grade its people, net worth, credit scores, height, weight, eye color, GPA, IQ, EQ, the strange standards of beauty and style, strength and fitness and ability, social standing, mobility and respect, clout and influence, likes and clicks. Every one of those ranking systems has a share of successful people and then a whole bunch of failures. We can probably all name the ways that we've achieved some success in our lives. In the times we didn't make the grade and nosedived spectacularly. These bits of human interaction, they come second nature to us. They're hardwired into who we are. We take so many of them for granted and probably don't even notice a lot of them. Many of the times we fall into these habits of mind without even knowing it. We buy into these systems unconsciously or consciously. We rank and evaluate one another. We rank and evaluate ourselves. Sometimes this motivates and rewards us. Often it isolates and embarrasses us. This is such a basic part of being a human person. It shouldn't come as much of a surprise then that we so easily fall into these same habits when we're framing and organizing our theological rules and our religious communities. Maybe it makes sense. Maybe this is how God works too. As communities of faith, we are invited to commit our lives to spiritual practices, moral choices. We're called to be more mature and wise people. These are worthy aims. It is the point of a life of faith, right? Well, sure. But the gospel isn't another one of our ranking systems. 
And that makes all the difference. This one time when some seriously religious experts and moral folks got together to see Jesus, and they complained to each other. They said, what kind of self-respecting spiritual person spends so much time with people who aren't even a little bit religious? They're immoral even. They're unsavory. He has the nerve to allow himself to be called rabbi, a master, a wise one, a holy man even. And yet, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Doesn't he know what he's doing? Doesn't he see how this man is tarnishing his reputation, diminishing his standing with the right sorts of people? Jesus' astonishing response to these biblical scholars and serious ones forms for us one of the great game-changing and radical high points of Scripture. I don't know if there's a higher point, actually. Or what woman, having ten drachmas, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? For those of you following along in your study Bibles with your highlighters, you probably just made a note there that your Bible doesn't say drachma. It probably just says silver coins, which is a close enough translation. Here is actually the only mention of that coin in the whole New Testament. And if you look on the cover of the bulletin, you'll find a handy, full-color illustration of the common coins of the Roman Empire. Thank you, Wikipedia. I could not resist. It's beautiful. Now, if you've been paying attention, you're about to say, hold on, Jeremy, you silly goose. Did you even look at that photo? The list of ancient Roman coins is missing the drachma. Way to do your research. Congratulations. You would be right, except for the fact that drachma isn't actually a Roman coin. In Jesus' day, the drachma was a throwback, a leftover silver coin that was still in limited circulation. It was a common currency of the Greek city-states, the once great civilization that was now a, a defunct empire. Those coins were the reminders of mighty Greek kingdoms, Alexander the Great and his descendants. The drachma was still worth about the same as the updated silver coin of the day, which you will find on that sheet called the denarius, the day wage for an unskilled laborer or common soldier. The faces of the coins are a little different, but they were still made of silver. In Jesus' story, a woman of modest means is holding a lamp in a dark room, sweeping the floor, moving furniture, crawling around the house, looking in the cracks and the corners. And here's the thing. She acts like the loss of the coin is some sort of big deal. What is she thinking? This is a drachma? All this work for, like it might make sense to rip your house apart for one of those gold Arius coins. Maybe. Like, I mean, that was some serious money, right? A drachma, though? That's not a life-changing amount. Might actually not be worth the effort. Did you know that most of the gold that we've mined in all of human history is still in circulation in some form or another? Look at your wedding ring or your chain. Who knows who wore that? 
Well, those ancient deposits of gold are still locked away in vaults all over the world. In contrast, and this is strange. You might want to check the internet again on this one. This one blew my mind. About 90% of the mined silver that has been mined for all of human history has been lost to the landfills and the couch cushions of history. It's strange, isn't it, how something as rare and valuable as silver can turn out to be so disposable, so carelessly discarded. As the story goes, all of the woman's diligent searching is not in vain. And the coin is found. And when she finds it, the woman gathers her girlfriends. Yeah, that's in the text too. The women from her neighborhood. Rejoice with me. I have found the drachma that I had lost. And sure, they're happy to have a party with her. Who doesn't love a good party? But this is some strange behavior. All this fuss for such a paltry sum? Jesus talks like this sort of behavior is what anyone would do. Jesus says, I mean, what woman having ten drachmas, if she loses one of them, wouldn't go to all this trouble? And the answer is, we'd probably all give up at some point, right? I mean, let's be reasonable. And a party? Well, that's just a bit much. It's almost as though this woman sees something that the rest of us don't see. I love the story of the lost coin. It's the shortest of the three famous parables in Luke 15. But boy, those few verses sure pack a punch, don't they? I mean, that stupid sheep wandered off, and maybe with a little luck it could wander home. And that creep of a lost son finally spends all his money on liquor and sex workers. And only then does he decide to beg his way home. But that lost coin... What could it ever do for itself? Coins don't find themselves. Have you ever found yourself utterly helpless? Or maybe you could name a situation you found yourself in completely out of your control. You didn't ask for this. And you don't know any way out of it. Have you ever felt isolated, disposable, expendable? Forgotten, abandoned, or worthless, used up? Have you ever wondered if maybe you've just fallen off of God's radar? Lost and helpless, overwhelmed, powerless people, this is the story for you. Jesus' words of assurance for folks who wonder if maybe they've been forgotten by their maker. Really, we probably got the title wrong on this one. This isn't so much the story of a lost coin, is it? This is the story of God, the persistent woman, the careful searcher, lighting her lamp and sweeping every last centimeter of her house. This is a parable of grace and relentless love, the searching and seeking God. No, it's not a story about a lost coin. It's a story about the outlandish efforts of the God who will not quit. The divine celebrator, the party thrower, gathering her girlfriends, lighting up the barbecue, dancing on the patio. Rejoice with me. 
You and I and the whole of humanity are invited to parties such as this. Times when we get to celebrate with the angels. Redeeming the hidden value in those around us. The God-given worth that each of us possesses. Taking delight in the recovery and discovery of unlikely and surprised humans. Found ones. The gratitude of amazed and astonished people is beautiful to behold. People who thought they were forgotten, discarded, beyond hope. This holy party is the work of the people of God. You have not been discarded, no matter how you feel. You are not forgotten, and you never will be. Friends, Rejoice with me. Amen.